Hello, horror fans. Welcome back to Selling the Stream. I am your host, Jed Donaldson. With me today, as always, is my partner in crime, Josh, the boring sex pest Yoakum. How's oh, okay. it going, Josh? Uh, yeah, nice. One I penned for myself. Uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I, liked, uh, I liked it. <laughs> well, I, I should clarify that that was how I described Garrison Keeler. Uh, my own is the slightly modified uh, pedantic sex creep, which there's a, there is a, a distinction. There's a difference, but I know which one I prefer. <laughs> well, like, a, a pest will make, like, actual requests of you and bother you and impact your life. I'm just going to go through your garbage. Like, that's, you know, no harm, no foul. That's just... Right. You were getting rid of that stuff anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing well. How are you doing? You know, I can't complain. You know, it's, you know... Up and down, but uh, to, this week's been mostly up. So uh, yeah, this is uh, this this is usually where I've been trying to come in with like a, a bit or a take or or something. But um, I've been living under the heat dome for the past few days, so um, my my brain is just a, a fine slurry of goo right now. Um, it's the cousin of the polar vortex that I went through. Um, over the winter, the just this is hot air that refuses to move away instead of cold air, and you know what the what the Pacific Northwest is famous for. It's hundred and twelve degree days. <laughs> right. I mean, that's what put you guys on the map. <laughs> so yeah, I, I want to apologize a little bit to our listeners. First of all, if um, as we're talking about a movie that has a lot of pretty deep, resonant symbolism and kind of a lot to say, and kind of a, one of our bigger picture movies like it's not not a friday the 13th movie right um that my uh my my thought process might be a little impaired and you might hear a a fan going on in the background just uh <laughs> cooling my vapors <laughs> you're just like a you're like a pc you're overclocked and the fans working overtime trying to get all that heat out just not working pretty much i, I mean I, I i made a joke texting you just as we're kind of getting ready to, to go into this that uh it, it suits the movie since a, a good chunk of, of the movie we're going to talk about takes place in like new orleans and everyone's just like dripping sweat and has pit stains and stuff that's like that's that's my life past couple of days so. <laughs> right it's <laughs> that's go, rough man <laughs> go to court and try to put away a, a big city lawyer for trying to teach our kids about monkeys <laughs> that's how that, that was the plot of uh inherit the wind right that the, the lawyer was like this is how monkeys work and the the, the southern lawyer was like oh, 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 oh. <laughs> if that wasn't the plot it should have been <laughs> oh man but yeah i was uh anything else going on with you you want to go ahead and dive right in oh i you know i don't have a whole lot but i did since this movie has a lot of like religious themes, I did have one thing that kind of popped out and just kind of jumped out in my mind. Um, I was taking a little trip real quick. All right. Okay. I've got a I've got a collie. She's a medium sized dog. She likes to go for walks. I don't love going for walks, but you know you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, so periodically take her down the street, walk around the neighborhood a little bit. Let her stretch her legs and 
do her business. At the end of my street, maybe a block down, uh, I pass a house that's on a corner. There's always a truck parked in their part in their driveway and has stickers in the back windshield. The sticker says some people's heroes wear capes. Mine wears a cross, which I guess I understand the sentiment that's trying to be portrayed by this sticker. But I do find it odd to phrase <laughs> to yeah. phrase it like Jesus is wearing the cross, like it's a fashion choice. <laughs> I love this uh, this cross so much. I nailed onto it. Like, yeah, <laughs> Jesus, why little... I love what you're wearing. Oh, this old thing. <laughs> I just I that just seems like a really strange way to put it. Yeah, I mean, without getting too deep into the weeds i think that some of the people who are maybe the loudest about these things are the things people that understand it the least so um i mean i i don't disagree with you <laughs> but that's that's not what we talk about on this show no is it? no it's not we, we well maybe this week <laughs> honestly this week depending on where this conversation goes in my state right now um we could we could lose a lot of viewers as, as i have like Big thoughts about religion. <laughs> well, I mean, primarily our listenership is like in the clergy, so <laughs> you may want to may want to tone those thoughts back a little bit. It's going to cost us our our slot where they just air our podcast after the Seven Hundred Club. <laughs> it's never been like this, I swear. <laughs> All right. Well, this is selling the screen. We talk about movies, specifically horror movies, specifically ones that Josh has uh, picked out in an attempt to turn me, a relative newbie to the genre, into a fan. Um, he's done a pretty good job. Uh, you know, there have been more hits than misses. Uh, this week, a little bit more lumps recently than, than normal. I gotta, I'm hoping this gets us back on track. Yeah, I, I would like to say that even even the ones that I don't necessarily love, I don't think are bad for the most part there are some that i think are bad cruel jaws oh, oh, cruel, cruel jaws, jaws was cruel jaws was a bad one <laughs> all right um but this one is uh this this movie is angel heart yeah mickey rourke and robert de niro um pretty much That's at the day. peak of their powers was what what year was this one uh 87 87 yeah. yeah so this is uh a young Mickey Rourke than, before he oh, took yeah. his lumps and <laughs> yeah. Um, so Mickey Rourke, I forget exactly when it was a little bit after this movie, but he um, started doing like training for boxing, and it's kind of one of those things where people who know him like he, he got injured doing it, and the people who know him kind of before and after kind of talk about different mickey rooks so right. um it's, it's a little bit of like a, a, a gary Busey situation where um there might be some tra traumatic head injury sure um, I, I don't i don't want to yeah i don't want to make light of it i mean but i will say that i i've seen mickey rourke and stuff you know that he's been in more recently yeah. i wasn't real familiar with his earlier work um, I had I was aware you know, there was a point where you know he did the like the boxing thing and it kind of changed his look a little bit. I just 
what kind of training was he doing? Was he getting punched in the face with irons? <laughs> well, you got you got you got to get ready to get hit. So apparently that's just uh, I, I, he looks wildly <laughs> different at well, this career than he does now. Yeah, and I think part of that is um, also some cosmetic surgery choices that I think have not. Um, I. I feel like I, I used to be way meaner when I would talk about like celebrities that you know alter their appearance that much or like they, they can't smile anymore because they've had so much plastic surgery. Sure. I, I'm trying to be a little bit kinder in that regard because I think there are definitely people where it's a, a boon for. But Mickey works kind of in that Michael Jackson area where it's he kind of doesn't look like a person very much anymore and you know I, I don't necessarily think that's what he's going for i think that's sort of just what where he's at <laughs> right um but yeah the, in this movie i think mean, he's phenomenal um he's our lead oh, he, and he's he looks he's, great in this movie <laughs> oh yeah he's a this is at the height of his like sex symbol powers because he was making around this time um kind of like artier Skinamax movies. He made like Wild Orchid around this time and like um, Nine and a Half Weeks, yeah. which are both like very much in that genre that doesn't really exist anymore, that erotic thriller um, mm -hmm. genre, um, which I, I might have something to say about a little bit about that. But um, Also, you got you got Robert De Niro. It's a small small part, but really everybody but Mickey Rourke in this kind of has a small part. Um, That's true. Louis Cipher. Um, you know, we'll yeah, I, I, I did want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, this this movie is anything but subtle. <laughs> I, I, we've we've had the subtlety talk before. There's a part of me that's like, yeah, just just make it, put it all up front. <laughs> let's let's make so, sure, make sure nobody misses it. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's to this movie's benefit or not. I'm. I don't know if I would have preferred it more if they were a little more circumspect about what was going on. I, I think it makes the movie operate a little differently. Um, but let's let's kind of talk about we'll talk about like who's in it, and, and and I definitely do want to talk about like the the cast because there's there's there, there some stories <laughs> that Alan Parker tells about this movie that are pretty astounding about like working with De Niro. Um, All right. <laughs> but this this is made by. Um, by Alan Parker, who is a uh, British director, passed away last year. Um, this is his only horror movie. Um, his other movies, uh, he made uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall. He okay. Made, um, Mississippi Burning. Uh, he made Fame. He made Evita. Um, he made uh, Life of David Gale with, uh, oh, that delightful Kevin Spacey. I haven't kept up with the news on him recently. I hope, hope things are still going well. <laughs> Or, no, I think he's fine. <laughs> um, but you know, he's he's uh, he's a guy who's he's kind of had a few misses in his career, some things that that didn't take fire. But a lot of his stuff was like pretty big. Like he, right? He, it um, sounded like he had some heavy hitters in there. Yeah, like he did. Um, I, I I feel like it's a movie that's sort of fallen a little bit by the wayside now, but it was a huge hit at the time. Um, Midnight Express. Mm -hmm. which is like the one about like the Turkish prisons that uh, was Oliver Stone's first screenplay. Right. Um, yeah. Like it's, uh, and, and I think a lot of directors like that 
kind of when they do have a misfire, um, which Angel Heart was a misfire. It was a, it did not perform well, um, critically or um, at, at the box office. Um, it's one of those movies that kind of has gotten reappraised, and there's very vocal fans about it. Um, but he always kind of had a soft spot for it, and he would like give interviews about it, and and was like he he, he considered it like just as good of a film as the rest of his his catalog. I'm kind of surprised to hear that it didn't get um, like critical acclaim, if not box. Like it's not really a surprise that box office didn't do much, but a, a lot of the criticism, and I, I think um, I, I don't want to say it's necessarily valid, but I can kind of see where that initial criticism was coming from. Was that it was style over substance? Um, like, oh, this is this is a very pretty movie, and it's very twisty and it's big and there's a lot going on but there's no, there's nothing really under the surface and I'm like eh, I I think there is I think that that's kind of discrediting it I think I think that stuff is used very effectively but um, not to say it's a perfect movie I will I will drag on the parts that I think do not work but uh, that was kind of the, the thrust of that criticism before it kind of got reappraised sure um, it, it was actually kind of best known at the time as being the movie that Lisa Bonet made that Bill Cosby was mad about um, because he thought I, that I don't, I don't know why that would be. <laughs> she was, uh, she had left the Cosby show, but was like looking to come back in as like a guest very occasionally. Right. Um, she did this movie and Bill Cosby was, was like, Oh, they just have her play on this black, sexy voodoo girl. They're taking advantage of her. And it's, it, you know, it, it's a very, there's a movie that had an X rating <laughs> at the time. Uh, was he but, mad at her or mad at the studio? A little, a little of both. Um, and he okay. kind of reconciled with her, um, and, and she ended up doing a different world um, with that that he produced. But she wasn't really on the Cosby Show again. Um, also, uh, just a, from what I remember, just a great guy. Again, I haven't been keeping up with the news recently, so uh, oh, yeah, the cops. <laughs> I'm sure you know. Somebody real fun to go grab a drink with, I bet. Um, <laughs> um, so he adapted this novel. He was basically like this novel got optioned and, and got kind of passed around in a lot of interest. Um, Falling Angel, um, really just based off the, the the tagline, the elevator pitch of The Exorcist meets Ray, Raymond Chandler. Um, he read it, kind of fell in love with it, uh, met with the, the writer of the book, who the writer of the book actually um, was a screenwriter for Legend, too. So, um, <laughs> okay. Big, big, big heavy hitter there, too. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, well, I should say another movie that was a flop that is, is kind of a beloved cult classic. I I liked Legend a lot when I was younger. I yeah. tried to watch it again, I don't know, a couple years ago and found myself bored <laughs> to tears. <laughs> It, it's got a cool look. It's it's a it's oh, an it, awesome. Look. It yeah. absolutely has a cool look. <laughs> yeah, I um, love I love like almost like everything about Tim Curry. Oh yeah, the the even Tom Cruise looks cool. The whole fairy tale vibe, I love it. <laughs> but, yeah, but watching it is is a tall ask. It's, it's a chore. <laughs> um, so Alan Parker gets gets the rights to it after it's been kind of been kicked around a little bit. He, um, the, the whole novel is set in, in New York, um, but there's a lot of references to New Orleans. So he's like, I, I think we should move part of the story there. The, the writer agreed with him, was like, I kind of thought about doing that too. 
Um, so he went to New Orleans and just went to all these different locations and kind of sat and rewrote it. He kept the plot pretty much intact, but kind of rewrote all the dialogue and um, changed the title of it because at the end of it, he kind of felt a sense of possession on it, which I think, you know, with good adaptations, that's right. a fair thing. Um, the, the writer liked it, so it's not like it was bad blood like, there. Having seen it now, I kind of wonder why they bother with the New York, with the New York stuff at all. Why not just set the whole thing in New Orleans? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, it's it sets up like the extremes because the the stuff in New York's all like cold and snowy and um, right. So it gets you that move to. I think a cool thing it does visually is that I think most of the time there would be a, a visual signifier of one versus the other, and here it's just the locations. It's just the fact that everybody's like sweating like a goddamn monster. <laughs> that yeah. kind of lets you know you're there. Uh, right. But they filmed this all in like location too. This is like I think like like around eighty different locations. Apparently, Alan Parker hates filming in lots and studios, so he, they they did everything on location. There's there's some really cool set pieces in this. I feel like that is a a plus for this movie. Um, I I actually really like the way this movie looked for the most part. Yeah, and it it feels very it feels lived in and also of the time because it's set mm-hmm. it's set thirty years earlier, nineteen fifty five. Um, so I started casting for it. Uh, originally for Harry Angel, they wanted um, they were considering Al Pacino, De Niro himself, um, and Jack Nicholson. And apparently, Jack Nicholson uh, met with Alan Parker and had just bought the wrong painting at a, at an auction and was just not interested in anything that Alan Parker had to say, because he basically just like spent millions of dollars on, on the wrong painting because in his catalog, the pages were stuck together. <laughs> that is, a, that's a, that's a crazy story. <laughs> so Alan Parker's like trying to talk to him about this movie and, and Jack Nicholson's just like, ah, uh, no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so they ended up, uh, you know, auditioning with um, with Mickey Rourke, and Mickey Rourke loved the script and was just like, you know, kind of like Dennis Hopper in Blue Velvet was just like, no, like this is me, like I, you have to let me do this because I, I I feel this character, I'm 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 in it, and uh, you know, he he makes a pretty convincing argument. However, <laughs> De Niro. <laughs> De Niro um, was they, they so they they were considering him for the Harry Angel part. Louis Cipher, who they ended up casting him as, which we'll get into the twist. But he's the devil. It's the devil. Um, <laughs> he he uh, initially got called by the producer like, "Hey, we're we're testing interest in this." And there was a movie that Alan Parker had made before called Birdie that was like this kind of strange like Vietnam parable. And he asked the producer, "He's like, are you the the team that made Birdie?" He said, yes, we are. And he hung up. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently the script got to him. He read the script. And about two weeks before, like, casting was wrapping up, he called Alan Parker personally and just told him, I am considering appearing in your movie. Um, Which was, like, basically all the confirmation they got before (laughs) before they started casting on it. Wow. there, there is a part of me that really wonders if he pulled the same thing on the adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> a shark's tail. <laughs> I am considering appearing in a shark's tail. 
I mean, I guess if you got that much clout, <laughs> what are you going to do um, for Shark's Tale? Not hire Robert De Niro? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, I say all this stuff, and the stories about him that come out of this aren't like super flattering. I still love Robert De Niro. Like, I, I'm a passionate defender of a lot of his, like, I think even a lot of his later career stuff, as much as he kind of became a little bit more paycheck focused, he's right. still got some really good stuff in there. Um, but it, apparently, like, they're, the, the four scenes they have together in this took forever to film because it, they, they turned into this, like, dick measuring method acting off between him and, and Mickey Rourke. Where he's like kind of kept trying to put Mickey Rourke in his place. <laughs> and, I, I can believe it. Yeah, like apparently, like Alan Parker, who they, I, I've watched a couple interviews with, with him in preparation for doing this episode, and really seemed like a, a, a great storyteller, just somebody that, you know, had a lot of cool stories about the business. Um, was just kind of talking about like, like Mickey works coming in and like crushing ice in his hands to get in the right frame of mind, like, and just like make himself upset and distraught and like basically like rending his, his clothes and tearing his hair out. Yeah. And he and he and De Niro just start improving with each other. And he's like, this is great. And it's none of this is in the script. This is all like them just <laughs> right <laughs> waxing philosophical. And which I think some of that, come through even if it's i think it's in service of the story i think they got stuff that worked but there's there's definitely you know who can who can pull the sophocles quote the fastest <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't i don't think it i don't think it doesn't work <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i think this is a movie that um in in even you know maybe 10 years later was getting critically reappraised and kind of looked at as um, I think, especially going into the nineties, I think there's a lot of movies in the nineties that look and feel like this, like your Jacob's ladders and your whatnots yeah. um, that kind of have the same psychological heaviness to them. You feel like maybe uh, this was just a little bit ahead of its time. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he's calling up Adrian line with the phone. <laughs> like it's your cousin, Barry line. <laughs> <laughs> You know that new sound you're looking for? <laughs> um, for for our you know nerds in the audience, um, this is a favorite movie of Ken Levine, who did um, the Bioshock games. So you can kind of see that influence, I think, at play <laughs> if you yeah. play through Bioshock at all. Yeah, uh, I think I think I can see it. Yeah, so let's 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 talk story here. I, I want to. I know we it's it's the the selling the screen guarantee that. I say we're not going to spend a lot of time going through the plot, and then we just walk through the entire plot. I really don't want to spend a lot of time on the plot of this movie, so, so help, help me out, Jed. Help me move along. No, I mean, I, I think I can like sum it up for you right now. This guy sells a soul to the devil, doesn't want to pay up. Yep. <laughs> There's some sort of uh, shenanigans involved to, uh, to not pay up, uh, yep. and now we're finding out the fallout. We're trying to find out what happened to this guy where where'd he go how'd he get away did he get away yeah and it's a it's a it's a private detective story like basically we know if you're paying attention at all i know this twist did get some people i, I think if you i think a lot of audiences though picked up pretty fast that the the guy with the 
long fingernails and the named Lewis Cipher, who's hiring this detective to track down somebody who didn't honor their contract. Um, You kind of know the score if you're (laughs) if you're paying attention. The first conversation between those two prompted me to write down in my notes um, exactly what the twist is. Yeah, I don't I don't think you. I, yeah, I, 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 if, if it gets you, like, sh- that's cool. I mean, there's definitely things in movies, like, there's very obvious things in movies that I didn't pick up until years and years later. So I'm not going to, like, make fun of somebody if they don't get it, but I also don't think it's not, it's not like a, you have to piece together all the clues and watch it again and it changes how it plays. It's like, no, you, you kind of know. Right. <laughs> you kind of know something's I think, up. Like I said, that, that first conversation, there's, there are, enough pieces there that you can put together the puzzle but if you didn't like i think you have to kind of consider too when this movie came out maybe there hadn't been so many things like yeah that kind of had this sort of twist in it so i don't want to pat myself on the back too hard it's not like like i said it's it's not they were pretty blatant about kind of what was going on yeah i mean i do have the benefit of having seen a lot of this sort of story before um, and I mean, even if, if Lewis Cipher didn't get you, Harry Angel being the name of the, of the private detective, you, you know, and then like, it, it, this movie's not shy. It plays like a straight procedural. Like it's, it's basically him going from place to place and investigating where this guy, Johnny favorite is right. what happened to him. But there's all kinds of symbolism and religious weird stuff going on in yeah. the periphery of it and people keep this dying movie is, this movie is noir as fuck <laughs> oh yeah it is it is absolutely um i mean the the, the novel was uh, apparently very much written in that that raymond chandler yeah hard-boiled private eye <laughs> yeah um but i i you know i i think it i think it works pretty well here it's, it's basically just a lot of him following leads in New York, and he figures out that this guy who was supposed to be in a, in a hospital in a coma is not there anymore. Um, after he talks to a bunch of different people that were like acquaintances of him and his, and figures out that he was like into some weird shit, it all kind of ties into New Orleans. He's in he's in New York City, um, and he ends up going down to New Orleans and kind of continuing his investigation down there, and um, you know also getting wrapped up with um, you know the the guys girlfriend his like uh his yeah, side like, woman's daughter a lot of past acquaintances of this person he's tracking down and then as he's getting wrapped up you know investigating those people end up dying in gruesome ways yeah and that's um seems I, to I, point I, to him as the only suspect i was i was a little i was, I was wondering a little bit if we were going to get a, a segment of of is this horror on this one <laughs> just because i i it plays so much like a procedural, but the parts where it gets into horror, fairly graphic and gruesome. Um, they, they maybe don't show the one death that's described as being the most gruesome, but it's almost right. more shocking for that in a weird way because they've shown everything else. You um, you were definitely going to get a, is this horror? I just wasn't going to drop it on you immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I, to, to me, it's not. If you want to call it a supernatural thriller, fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's um, Parker himself did not shy away from that. I mean, he was he was very much all about that tagline of, of Exorcist meets Raymond Chandler. Um, and, and he even 
but took it as a point of pride that he had so many different genres in his catalog um, yeah. kind of when he wrapped up his career. So I, I, it does walk that line. It's and it, 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 and part of it is that it plays so much like that straight detective story. It's so much about that exposition and moving you to the next thing, the next clue, um, right. the next scrape that he's got to get out of. Um, but I think it works pretty well. Um, and, and it also fits genre parameters for me. Uh, I mean, like, goddamn blood rains from the ceiling it's at one point. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I, right, but, you know, how much of that is legit? D- does it actually, though? <laughs> I, I think, I, you know, I'm not going to say that you can't call it horror. I'm going to say that I'm not going to call it horror. Okay, got it. You're, you're, you're writing that psychological thriller line. Yeah. Uh, so he does eventually, like, it kind of spirals down further and further. More people end up dying. They're dying in ways that make it look like he's the one that did it because he's, like, talking to somebody, turning around and coming back, like, you know, an hour later. The police are showing up at his door and saying that they, uh, he was the last one that that person was seen with. Or they had his, like, phone number um, written on a piece of paper that was in their hand or something. Right. Uh, and one of the things that kind of stuck out to me was like the people that died all died with items that he interacted with in the scene, their, their scenes together. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering, I was wondering if you were, you'd picked up on that or I was going to uh, talk about like when he um, goes to go see the, the former girlfriend of Johnny's favorite, she's like a, a debutante living in a, you know, a decent apartment, but she's like a fortune teller who's basically bankrolled by her dad. And she's got like a, a ceremonial dagger that he's like toying with, and later on her her heart is cut out. Uh, right. So it's it's and you see that as well with all the other people who've died. Like the, the only the only one that threw me for a loop was the uh, the last one, well, not the last one, but the her her dad <laughs> when her dad dies. Uh, I was he, totally yeah. expecting the the ice pick or the the hammer he was using. Was not expecting death by gumbo. <laughs> Yeah, and that's um, if if I was gonna nail, I I, I think I, I, we had talked off air last time that this is a movie that's probably the one that there's the longest gap between the last time I'd seen it and us covering it for the show. So there was a part of me that was sort of like, is this gonna be problematic or is this gonna hold up or is this like is this a movie that twenty year old me really liked that forty year old me is gonna be like, oh, um, what the hell is wrong with me? <laughs> I, I think it mostly does, and I, I do want to talk about some of the maybe potentially problematic areas here in just a little bit, mm-hmm. but um, one thing that I, I sort of remembered from then, and I, I think I, even more so now, as a, as a thing I will hold up that I do not think works that great, is the, the scene with her dad, where it's just, there's so much like that's been slowly doled out about what the, the details of this case are. And he just, in the last 10 minutes of this movie, just exposition dump. It's like, it's one of my least favorite things in movies. Like it, I, it, I agree with you. Um, I feel like there's a lot of connections made in that scene that we weren't privy to prior to that scene. We, we do need the information. I just, I think yes, there's absolutely. a way to, to do it either, uh, either a little bit more slowly over some of the other scenes or to even just kind of slow that scene down a little bit. <laughs> I think I like what, what I'm talking about specifically is like um, when he, when 
Angel makes the connection that uh, I, I can't remember. The father and daughter team were the ones that took uh, Johnny Favorite out of the hospital. Like, yes. I'm not sure where that came from. Well, yeah. I just he he pieced together that she was involved with that, and I, I think it was the. Um, I, I think a lot of that's intuition, but I also think there's there's a part of it, um, and I, I think it's one of those things where if you kind of know the score, there there are scenes with him where he he kind of seems like maybe he knows more than he's willing to tell himself even where what people are saying is kind of hitting him a certain way, but he's not sure. letting it sink in. <laughs> I think that's fair. I just, yeah. I don't, that scene in particular, like you said, it just seems like there's a lot going on. I'm not sure that all the pieces that are put <laughs> into play there were presented in like, yeah, were set up beforehand. Yeah, and it, it's the um, so the, the the big twist here that what he's been investigating this guy Johnny Favorite who basically backed out of a deal with the devil, uh, who um, and, and what you find out here is that he had actually done figured out another spell a ceremony where he could uh, find somebody his own age and and steal their soul and their memories and basically use that soul instead of his own to. to fulfill the deal and then the war happens and there's like all like a bunch of other things happen that basically give him amnesia they reconstruct his face because he gets injured in the war and johnny favorite the guy that our detective has been pursuing is harry angel it's it's that's that's the person whose soul that he took that's whose memories he's living um vicariously through uh he, he goes and confirms it uh lewis cypher shows up again and um I, I, I do like this. Even at the end, it gets a little cheesy with the yellow eyes, but eh, still kind of works for me. It's fine. Uh, yeah, but I, I think there's a lot of cool stuff here, too, like the him finding the, do the dog tags that have the name on it and realizing it's him, and he comes out, and all the other times they've met, it's been, like, prearranged. They've been in, like, a church or, like, a diner or something, and here he's just in uh, one of the victim's apartments, Margaret Cruzmark, the... the the former lover. Yeah. Um, and he's just there and he's like, uh, alas, how terrible is wisdom when it brings no profit to the wise. <laughs> right. Yeah. And this, I, I think the acting here is, um, I think Mickey Rourke is just really great in this whole movie, but I, in, in particular at the end where I think there's a lot of dodgy, maybe writing, um, he still sells it. It still works because he goes full Babda. He, he goes uh, denial, anger, bargaining, or uh, you know, depression, acceptance, like over the course of dealing with the devil. Um, and we also find out that the the young woman that he's shacked up with here, as he's been chasing Johnny Favorite, uh, was Johnny Favorite's daughter, which means that's his daughter. We got us, we got us an old boy situation. Yeah, um, a little bit of incest. <laughs> I mean, it's set in the south, uh, you know. Come on now. It's... I grew up there, man. <laughs> that's, that's, those are my people. <laughs> yes, it's okay if you say it. <laughs> um, but this, I, I think this whole thing works pretty effectively, and I, I want to get into kind of the themes and what does work about it, um, and maybe some of the individual scenes that I think there's cool stuff with. But um, 
I, I think the whole tenor of the movie, it's fairly humorless. Um, there's a few like little quips that he makes. Um, but for the most part, like everything in this movie is sinister. It is like, it is dripping darkness from start to finish. And I think it's, it's a hard thing to pull off and it pulls it off pretty well. No, I agree. Um, I think that's fair have, to say. Do you want, do you want to start with the MCU style credits? You can't leave. You got it. You got to watch that elevator ride, uh, down All into hell. Down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's. They do a good enough job of, of not putting so many, many credits in between the, the scenes that you feel like it's just going to be credits. Like the It's almost like the credits are going over <laughs> the movie at that point. Yeah. Um, so it's not like you really have much of a chance of missing it. <laughs> um, I did. I was a little. I guess I was a little confused as to what was going on there. <laughs> I, he's 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 a. Uh made he's accepting his deal he's he knows he knows what happens he's he's riding that elevator down to hell and both both souls are at play because at the very end he gets to the bottom in the darkness you hear both the uh, harry and johnny's names um being stated there so and i mean I, I if you wanted to start from the religion angle i think there's something to say about the fact that harry's soul also belongs to satan at this point <laughs> <laughs> um, I was gonna say that, role, that doesn't seem fair. And, the role of the devil in Christian myth, where the devil—if if God is all powerful—the devil must exist because God wants him to. <laughs> um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's always kind of been one of my things with with uh, with, with the Christian faith, but it's. Um, I, I think in the world of this movie, and not, not from like a, a bigger picture standpoint, I almost think this is a world where almost God doesn't exist and just the devil does. <laughs> like it, it kind of feels like he just shows up in any, any church he wants to. Like at first, the first church he shows up in, you can definitely understand why he's there because it's very corrupt. Like right. The, corrupt. The, the big grift, <laughs> the, the preacher's only in it for money. Yeah, it's and, and you know this is the church in Harlem that they they go off to, and it's a, you know it's a black church. There's a, I, I definitely do want to talk about race in this movie too, but um, maybe that's a conversation we have in a couple more minutes. Um, sure. But um, we're introduced to the characters in the church. The the preacher has a sign behind him that says Father John is God, and he's telling his congregation that. People are spreading rumors about him driving around in a Cadillac, and that the real tragedy is that he's not driving around in a Rolls Royce. I thought that uh, was funny. <laughs> but this is like I, I think if you kind of have um, if you have faith, it's like okay, I can see why the devil's showing up here. This is this is like a false, and you even find out later that they've got like a voodoo shrine in the church as well. So. Maybe even the, the the faith itself is a complete sham in front. Um, but then the the third time he meets them, they're just, they're just in a Catholic church, and they don't really show anything. I mean, we in the real world know that the Catholic church has some problems. But, um, they don't show anything in the world of the movie that to indicate that this is a like a wicked Catholic church he's in. No, it just just seems like they're doing normal Catholic church stuff. And, and Lewis Cipher is like tickled to be there. 
This is like maybe but when he not, got his life. Not only that, but he reprimands Mickey Rourke's character several times for blaspheming in the church. <laughs> very playfully. It's a very yeah. like, oh, oh, we're in a church. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, we get a, a recurring <laughs> Harry Angel's kind of line about why he does most things. I'm from Brooklyn. The, are you an atheist, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Angel? I'm from, churches creep me out. I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> it's, a, it's as good a reason as any. Yeah, that's uh, one of his two catchphrases in this movie. His, his other being, "I got a thing about chickens." <laughs> <laughs> what? All right, I was I was really expecting that to actually come into play at some point. <laughs> kind of. I mean, it's, okay. Again, I'm a, I'm a big defender of this movie. I think a lot of this stuff works. Him getting chased into the room full of chickens, not quite Indiana Jones falling into the snake pit. <laughs> right. <laughs> I I mean, they just they kept hitting it so hard so often. I, I really expected there to be some plot point with it, but it was just a character quirk, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it shows up a lot, and it's also it ties into the it might be part of the whole misdirect where they kind of make it seem like maybe the, the voodoo stuff is maybe more at play in his story than it really is. Yeah. Um, Cause there's like ceremonies both with um, Lisa Bonet's character, uh, Epiphany Proudfoot, um, who's like a 17 year old voodoo priestess. Um, Proud feet. <laughs> um, she she kills a chicken and basically like bathes in his blood at, at one point as he's like spying on their ceremony. Um, they they've got like a they're sending a symbol to the one guy who's talking too much, uh, Toot Sweet, um, which fucking great character name by the way. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, as for an old blues man, A plus. Um, Toot Sweet's at some point. <laughs> he has one of my favorite lines in this movie too when he describes somebody else plays playing drums like Jack Rabbit's fucking. <laughs> <laughs> but they uh they, they leave a, a chicken claw out in the bathroom for him to, to warn him off from from talking too much um so there is the the, the symbolism there but yeah it doesn't really like <laughs> were you expecting at the end like the Lewis Cipher to take off his mask and it's just a full devil chicken <laughs> <laughs> like a la family guy yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting. I I kind of thought there would just be something to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the, just... the voodoo the voodoo stuff made sense to me because like obviously the the guy figured out this ritual from somewhere. Like, yeah. Why well, I it's I think the the other thing with like religion where it's it kind of walks a weird line is it's um. A lot of the, the voodoo stuff is played pretty straight, and even though it's kind of presented to the characters as being sort of sinister and alien, and there's definitely people who are involved with it who have ties to the devil stuff, like Toot Sweet has the, the upside-down pentagram star as a gold thing on his tooth. The tooth, yeah. Uh, um, it also kind of seems like maybe they're... It's not devil worship it's like it's just it's closer to that it's it's sort of it's just both worlds a little bit i think it just it is just like a like tradition at that point like it's just yeah that that back from from the old country (laughs) i I, i've got some issues with about how how race is presented in this movie but but how voodoo is presented isn't as big of one 
especially because I don't think I don't think anybody really comes out of this one looking great. No. Like there, there's a really brief scene where they show um, a group of Baptists um, all all having a, a baptism down by the river, and boy, the casting call on that one. Cool. Right, um, they they are making a statement. <laughs> just, uh, I mean, I don't know if people just looked like this naturally, or they they were taken into costuming and makeup and made to just look like cartoon characters of inbred Southerners. But right. um, yeah, there, there are definitely uh, statements being made in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, there's. Um, I mean, we kind of talk a little bit about the, the role of religion. Do you want to talk about some of like the, the symbolism stuff? Because there's a lot of recurring images and themes in this movie. Was yeah, there there's... that stood out to you? There's... I, I made a list of the things that I, I, I caught multiple times. Um, drumming like a heartbeat. Yeah. Often comes up. Um, numerous times you see, like, gates opening by themselves. Yeah. Uh, Fans spinning. Yep. Either, you know, either on their own, like being powered by electricity or just like the wind pushing them fitfully. Uh, there's also the woman in black cleaning blood in multiple places. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that, that, was, those are the big ones that I caught. Was, um, I, I, I feel fine talking about pretty much all of those. Um, was there, were there ones that, you thought worked well or thoughts that you maybe didn't understand or did you, was there one you wanted to kind of start discussion with? I think it didn't. I think I understand the gates. Yeah. I think that the gates were like his, his mind, like trying to open up and, and like recall this, these memories. Um, I wasn't sure what the or fans like accountability spinning. or that it, it, that's kind of like almost fate calling him because when he's seeing it it's like he's usually walking away from it um he like like he, he opens the door to a church and sees the, the the gate to an elevator open and he's just like nah fuck this but it's kind of out of the blue it's like in the middle of a bunch of other stuff and it doesn't really fit yeah it's like why did he even go there <laughs> yeah um the the fans basically turn on when the when the presence of the devil is nearby um so the first time you see him turn on is actually when he first meets cypher uh, Cypher, as he calls them, to kind of like, throw the slower members of the audience off the scent. I don't know. Right. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, Mephistopheles is such a mouthful in Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> good as, as he says later on, yeah. He's, he's, he does have some great lines in this movie. Um, I, I, he based his performance in part off of uh, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is like a nice thing to say about like, one of your closest friends that you're very closely right. associated with their films. <laughs> oh, well, I had to be Satan. Oh, there's nobody but Marty. <laughs> I'm I, Speaking of the MCU, I'm sure there's a, a segment of the MCU fans that also think Martin Scorsese is the devil. He's like, yeah, they're kind of like roller coasters. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> right, that, that completely out-of-nowhere dig... <laughs> That has no basis in reality. It's certainly. <laughs> but the um, the fans kick on before the murders happen. So that's that's your indication that um, what you find out at the end is that all the all the people he's talking to who are getting him closer to Johnny favorite, um, he killed he he killed them all. And it's um, 
yeah, the Lewis Cipher says, oh, like, I, of course, like, I, I guided you. And it's like, he was like, maybe in a fugue state, like, maybe that was Johnny kind of overriding Harry Angel to protect right. this identity. But um, whenever that's at play, like, so when he goes to go talk to the doctor, you start to see the fan kick up yeah. when, he, when he locks the doctor in the, in the room. And um, I, I think there's a lot of, it, this does seem like a very meandering movie because it has all this symbolism and stuff in it. But I, I think it kind of works to the film's credit because it makes it so strange and you never really know where it's going. Um, there, there are these scenes that aren't really necessary to the economical integrity of the film. Like I, I'm thinking specifically about when he goes to Coney Island um, where it's just a weird thing in the middle of the movie. And it, it gives him... It gives them like a those piece characters of that were there. <laughs> oh, they're awesome. I love this scene, but it's it's I think most movies, like all he learns there is that Johnny Favorite used to go see a fortune teller and that he he already knows that he's involved with Margaret Cruzmark and he finds out there that the the fortune teller and Margaret Cruzmark are the same person. Right. That's like literally the only information he gets there. That's like that's something that I think most other movies would be like, oh yeah, she was a debutante. She told she was a, a millionaire, but she told fortunes down at Coney Island. Um, I, it, this movie just makes it this other weird thing. Like you said, it introduces the, these characters that are the guy who uh, who in the summers eats the heads off of rats. <laughs> what do you do in the winter? Same <laughs> <laughs> <Same> thing. <laughs> I thought that that made me laugh. <laughs> Gives him the and also like influences the kind of the visual style the rest of the movie. The stupid ass nose guard. nose guard that he gives him that he wears for the rest of the movie. <laughs> so he makes the little kid cry. Uh, <laughs> a, a real awesome just guest cameo here from from uh, Julia Sweeney as Pat out in the water. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks it helps her varicose veins. <laughs> Mister, don't don't be a gazuni. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, there's. You're right. There's a lot of scenes that don't seem to go, that don't seem to fit with the movie that they're trying to yeah. put together. That maybe they they could have been trimmed. Um, but I I don't think there was anything that really stuck out to me that was like, I don't want this in the movie. Oh no, and that's 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 actually an uh. <laughs> I'm getting to the point that I, I kind of want to make. I, I kind of miss messy movies. I miss movies that could take their time like this and maybe not everything hits. And, um, you know, I kind of lamented in the past, like, the the, the death of the mid-budget movie, like when we talked about Child's Play. Right. I, I, I kind of miss that. I, 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 another thing I, I will tell you, I straight up miss, I miss movies being this horny. This is a horny movie. <laughs> oh yeah, this this movie is uh it's like uh it's pre-cum. <laughs> just oozing slowly. I mean a, a lot of that is Mickey Rourke's performance here. He's uh he plays Harry Angel as um which I think is a pretty traditional noir detective thing as kind of the yeah. the charmer who also lets people underestimate him. He's smarter than he than he looks but can kind of pull off the stops when he's trying to Woo a dame. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he, uh, basically every woman he comes across in this movie, like maybe with the exception of the woman out in the, the ocean with her varicose veins, 
he is trying to lay pipe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's definitely got the charm turned on pretty much any time he's with a female. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Just, uh, you know, going to um, the, the nurse's office at the beginning and just, you know, he's, he's, he's pretending he's from the health inspection board and I, I like the detail that he's got like a million different like ids in his wallet yeah uh, which that's also the wallet we've seen him give the devil <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I i appreciate the irony there of like the devil just being able to look through this like oh okay you you assume a lot of identities hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah we kind of see it in like in force there where he like gets something he's not supposed to have because he, he, he charms her into it. And he charms, you know, I, I think uh, he tries it with Margaret Cruz Mark. It doesn't really work. And then he meets Epiphany um, later who, you know, is the, it, we, we kind of mentioned briefly, he had like a, a side fling with a, with a black woman who uh, like basically went back home to Louisiana and, and waited for him out in the swamp um, until she died. And then you find out that Epiphany, um, is Evangeline's daughter, and she's uh, a teen mom. She's like seventeen with a with a three year old kid, um, which maybe brings us to one of our not just the incest theme being like super problematic, but also just the casualness that this movie has, and Harry Angel has in particular, and maybe just the eighties and most of recorded human history has in general of just not being a big deal that a thirty five to thirty eight year old man is just Right. Fucking a 17-year-old girl. <laughs> See, um, like, part of me wanted to just kind of gloss over that because of the time period. But, I mean, you're right that that is a thing that seems to come up more and more often. Yeah. Um, and that, it's, the, the thing that, that tends to come up a lot is... is it was normalized because a lot of these people, I, I can't say this about the writer, Alan Parker, I don't know, but like, I know for certain with like Woody Allen is like Manhattan's him telling on himself. It's just like, oh, here's this story about like me, a neurotic 40 year old in this relationship with a girl in high school. Like it's, yeah. when you, when you normalize it, it kind of, even if you don't mean to, it kind of says something about you. So, yeah, um, it is kind of yucky. Yeah. Um, More than kind of. Yeah. Um, and I think just in general, um, I, I do want to applaud that this is a story it's, it's, you know, written by a white guy in the seventies, directed by a white guy in the eighties. Um, it does go into black spaces and it's, it treats its black characters, um, as, as individuals. And I, I think if anybody in this movie could be said to be somewhat redeemable it's it's lisa bonet's epiphany proudfoot sure um but it also has like i think weird ideas about black bodies like the the, she's very overtly sexualized like like her mom was apparently which yeah it's fine people are there you know that doesn't necessarily mean anything but it also is coupled with both the black characters who die in this movie have their genitals mutilated and that's, I, again, like, I, I don't even know if that's an intentional thing as more of like a, like a subconscious, like, this is how I'm going to write this. And this is how the white characters die, like boiled in gumbo, which is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. That's a, 
it is, a, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting death, I guess. I, I, I've never seen it before or since. Um, I, I, it was a hell of a misdirect. I didn't see it coming. <laughs> but like, you also have like heart cut out, which ties into the the ceremony that he did, this black magic thing that's at the right heart of what actually happened. See, uh, I wrote I wrote down um, the people that died, like the way that they died, because it seemed like maybe there was something important there. Yeah. Um, but I, I I never could put it together. Like other than Cruz Mark dying with her heart cut out uh, for obvious reasons, you know the the ritual ties that in nicely. I yeah. I don't know what the other deaths would have symbolized if they if they had any meaning at all. It, it is it is funny that I uh, rewatching it for the show when when he shows up and she's on the table and she's she's cut open and he starts looking around the apartment and he's trying to figure out what's going on and he ends up finding her heart. Um, there's a moment where you like when he first comes in and you see like her neck pulse and I'm just like, Oh, like they're, they're trying to show you it's a clue that this just happened. That's, that's like, that's our clue that, that, that Harry and Johnny are the same person and Johnny killed her. Yeah. Uh, no, just a goof. Just, uh, <laughs> just, she was on the table and you know, her neck moved and there was a, <laughs> they didn't cover it up. <laughs> you know, some, some intentional fallacy there. We're like, Oh, that's what, a, what a brilliant move by this director. So, right. No, <laughs> no, just oopsie. <laughs> Whoops, a doodle. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, again, like I, I always feel weird talking about this stuff on the show because it's two like white dudes in their forties talking about it. But I mean, did the did that race stuff kind of hit with you? I mean, just the I don't know that the that was a little bit of a bummer for me this time. Where I'm just like, oh, the one guy had his dick cut off and got choked to death with it, and then his daughter either by his hands or the devil's just looking to snare him even further, had a gun up her vagina and the trigger pulled. Like, it's yeah, I'm not sure that he actually meaner. killed her. Yeah, it's, it's implied that maybe the devil did that one, because the devil free, freely admits to killing somebody else. Yeah. Like, I, oh, I and killed that did. lawyer who hired you. <laughs> right, and, and the devil, like, there's a, in that scene where they're in the, uh, in Cruz Mark's apartment together, the devil does pick up his gun before he leaves. So, yeah. and, he, and he's I mean, there. That's the, yeah. that's the, you talked about the figure in black. We, we can maybe get back to that little bit of symbolism. True, I, yes. I, I think the, I think the figure in black is really just death. But at at the very end of the movie, it is a shaved De Niro because he's got a full beard for the rest of the movie. Right. And I, I get what they're going for here. Does make it a little Monty Pythonish. <laughs> it's this like black robe and gown that he's wearing. You just expect right. him to be like, I'll kill her in there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I I didn't think it was that goofy, but yeah, it's I agree. It, there, you could take it that way, sure. <laughs> but I think it's supposed to be a little bit more open ended. The other times he sees the figure, because like you said, the first time you see it, it's it's in that Harlem church, and right. it's and again, just like the the mood of this movie is so so oppressive, where it's like as soon as he gets there. It's a, a screaming woman being escorted out of the church, and they're still having the the sermon go on. He goes upstairs to meet with uh, with the devil, and they walk past a room where one of the parishioners, and assuming like this this woman who is outside's husband or father or whatever, had right. just, has just shot himself in the head. Right. He's he is told that it's there's a, been a suicide, and this woman is cleaning the blood off the wall. Yeah. <laughs> While the church service is going on just down the hall. But, um, so I don't know if you had noticed this, but he does come back and he like, you know, investigates the church again. That's when he finds the voodoo stuff. Yes. Did you see that when he went to New Orleans, that in his suitcase, he had that brush with him? 
I saw that there was a brush in his suitcase. I didn't think it was the same brush. I thought it was just like because yeah, he's he's like brushing off his his coat with it. I thought maybe that was just a, a brush. I, that you, I believe it's a, if it's not the same one, it is like the exact same style. Well, he so. threw that brush in the bowl in the in that building and, and <laughs> left it there, and that brush was stained with blood. So unless he cleaned it, <laughs> anyway, who knows? That's that's when Johnny Favorite takes over. You can't let a brush go, you can't let a brush go to waste. Noted neat freak Johnny Favorite. <laughs> The man with the golden tonsils and the immaculate apartment. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not sure if I'm I'm with you on that one, but um, did you did you notice the the motif of the of the song running throughout? That gets I did. Actually... I, I thought it was neat the the first time when you see him kind of driving and he's whistling along to the score, and that that same wow. um, pattern of notes keeps coming up in different places. He plays it in Cruise Mark's apartment. Uh, I think. The, the lady at the beach sings part of that song. Um, Epiphany sings it like after Epiphany they... sings it, yeah, in the bathtub. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that those that song keeps coming up. I, it, that's the, a lot of the psychological stuff I really think does work in this movie, where it's just it's working on you on multiple levels, where it's, mm-hmm. it's coming up again and again in the score, and it's kind of even hidden in other parts of the score. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty subtle in some spots. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Which is not something you can say about most things in this movie. And I, and I think the use of music in this, you, you can tell this is the guy who made Pink Floyd's The Wall and Fame. It's, it's Right. He, he, he gets how sound and sound design work in film exceptionally well. There's a lot of really good um, diegetic music, too, where it's the music that's playing, in, like, actual in the events of the movie. Yeah. So, like the blues club and at the, you know, the voodoo ceremony and a lot of that stuff kind of like you were saying kind of melts into either like the heartbeat or the, the, the steel wires being struck or, um, mm-hmm. that, or this, this song that this Johnny favorite song, you come to find out the girl of my dreams song that he keeps kind of almost getting to. Yeah. Um, it, it also like he, he keeps almost looking in mirrors and throughout the whole thing, keep looking away from mirrors. They 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 very much on the nose with this at the end. Have uh, have Lewis Cipher say the um, you know no matter how fast you sneak up on a mirror, you'll always meet your reflection in the eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I did notice the mirror stuff. Yeah, he's like breaking them and stuff. Um, do Do you want to talk about maybe my one of my favorite scenes in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> do you want to talk about the sex scene? Oh well, I'll get there. I'll, I'll I will get there. All right, let's let's go with yours first. Um, I assume so, they were one and the same, but <laughs> we've talked about so there's there's four scenes with De Niro in this movie, and we've kind of talked through three of them. The one that we haven't touched on yet is maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie. It's when he goes to the diner, and it's it's after the yeah, it's after the cop, or after sorry, after the doctor has already died, and he's like, I. This was a missing persons case. There's somebody that's dead. It's looking like it's going to be pinned on me. I'm I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. Right. And it's just it's the two of them alone in a diner, and De Niro has a has a hard boiled egg. And he is he is having a love affair with this egg. It's maybe the most like sinister scene in this movie. It's it's right. It's really effective. It's um, he's not just cracking it. He's like leaning pressure on it, rolling it. Uh-huh. on the plate as he's talking to him and you hear all the crunches and he's 
using his long fingernails to, to peel, peel it, it off. Yeah. And, and gives he, them the, he makes the, the comparison between an egg and a soul. <laughs> and offers him. Offers offers one to... Because to, he knows that score. It, it's, it, it ends up being this kind of hilariously ironic thing. Like the... Some people say the egg is the soul. Would you like an egg? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, no. And then just he eats it in the most off-putting way. <laughs> right, yeah. Just whole just, staring at him. Staring right, just hol- him. holding eye contact the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> that scene fucking rules. <laughs> if you, if you, I, that's my sell on this movie. If you're like, if you haven't watched it yet and you're kind of on the fence on it, if you, if you watch that scene and you vibe with it, that is really the vibe of this movie, the part that kind of resonates with me. Yeah. Um, I, I like how the, getting back to the sex scene, <laughs> I like how the sex scene is filmed. I want more horniness in movies. I want movies to be less sterile. I want movies to be, uh, you know, I think we were just kind of talking before the call, like one of my favorite parts of Poltergeist is just that scene where the, the couple is together and they're, it's kind of the messy parts of a right. relationship and they're kind of flirting. They're flirting with each other, but they're also like, not perfectly chiseled <laughs> they're like mom yeah. and dad bodies and... they're just they're in bed together comfortable intimate <laughs> yeah and 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 this once you what well, i just this is a loaded sentence but once you step away from the other factors that are at play in this sex scene um it's a very passionate and intense sex scene it's this is to a point it is (laughs) but it's but it 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 ties into the rest of the movie this is a this is a mean nihilistic movie and it gets and once you know what's going on you know why this is happening where he starts physically assaulting her and blood starts raining from the ceiling um not just from the ceiling but it's coming out of her (laughs) yeah yes (laughs) um kind of again another clue that there's there's something going on if you're really slow on the uptake. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that works. Again, the, the stuff that doesn't work there is is the the super problematic stuff, which we, you know, I, I yeah. hope people don't think it is me saying that stuff works. That stuff does not work. <laughs> but, no, not at all. But it, just visually and how it's presented um, in the context of the movie. Right. That that scene is. I don't want to say it's my it's my favorite scene, but it's, it's the one that's probably going to stick with me the longest. Yeah, because it, it shifts like 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 I said, you, it starts off as you know, it's a kind of fucking horny sex scene. It's like almost like holy shit, are they actually fucking in this scene? <laughs> <laughs> and then and then slowly the you, you start to get the blood dripping from the ceiling and, and the the sounds of passion start right too. starts they yeah, yeah the. He's in an apartment. The apartment's got a leaky roof, and the the leaks that are coming from the roof start turning more and more red. So, like, yeah, they're 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 on the bed, you know, in, in each other's embrace, and the the sounds of passion start turning into more like violent sounds and and screaming, and you know, you flashes of him strangling her and and blood coming out from between them, and it's gushing down the walls. It, it turns pretty nightmarish pretty fast. Yeah. Um, but, she, but she's still there the next day. She's she's there the next yeah, morning. Yeah, I, like, like, I expected there to be some sort of conversation, like, or at least like a you know, uh, sorry about last night. Or, <laughs> she seemed pretty okay with it. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, she did say, because she talks about um, Johnny Favorite's history with her mother and says that her, her mother liked men and that Johnny Favorite was the best fuck she ever had. Yeah. <laughs> also said he was as cl- close to evil as she wanted to come. <laughs> yes, yeah. It, in more ways than one. <laughs> um, the... I do think it's it's kind of interesting here that the the whole um, like aspect of, of where it's set and kind of the, the societal divide there too because we do get we haven't really talked about the the, the racist cops that show up like there's the uh, which um, a, a veteran character actor who shows up like in a million other things he was the the um, did you ever see Identity Yes he's the the I, I don't want to spoil what Identity is but he's like the guy in identity <laughs> right. cop, um, usually kind of plays these kind of roles, which can be kind of a thankless task because he's the, the character that everybody hates because he's a, a sweaty Southern racist. Yeah. <laughs> this is, I mean, this is, this is the problematic stuff that you kind of like can sort of gloss attack. over as being part of the, part of the time period the movie set in. <laughs> that in New Orleans in the fifties. Yes. Yeah. They, you know, when when the uh, when Toot Sweet gets killed, it's a very uh, they they leave him alone a lot quicker. But when Cruz Marks find de- found dead, it's right. He you know, I, he specifically he says like the, yeah, he specifically says that black guy doesn't matter at all. But this is <laughs> she's <Yeah>. white money. <laughs> um, I, I some of the the humor here, I, I do like the little dopey sidekick that he just keeps fucking with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do, do you watch uh do you watch the mickey mouse club today is wednesday anything can happen day <laughs> um some of the bite is taken out because you're not supposed to be a fan of those characters too so yeah yeah the um i i think one thing i, I wasn't meaning to mention there i kind of slipped my mind as i talking about other stuff but the um We've talked about kind of the intensity and just how good the performances are of um, Mickey Rourke and Robert De Niro. I really do want to um, shout out to just how good Lisa Bonet is on this. She's great. She, she really grounds this movie in a lot of ways. And it's like, I think she plays this role of um, somebody young who's putting up a, a, a front <laughs> um, pretty pretty well. I mean, she's somebody mm-hmm. who's seen a lot at a young age, but there's still like a vulnerability there. Um, and I think she does really well with it. I think she, uh, you know, I, it's a it, it's a very sexy role, and it could be it 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 could be easy to dismiss. You know, the, basically the, the second time you see her, she's washing her hair and she's got a wet t-shirt. Um, right, right. Yeah. It can be easy to dismiss kind of the emotional core of her performance, which I, I think is there. I think, I think she does an awesome job with it. Um, I, I cannot think of very many people in this movie who don't kind of nail their parts. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of veteran character actors in this, um, that, that do a really great job. Like that. I, I forget the guy's name, but the guy who plays the, the junkie doctor, that's kind of his first lead. Um, who ends up getting, you know, a little bit of a locked room mystery. He's he's going through withdrawal, <laughs> um, locked in his own bedroom while Mickey works trying to get more clues out of him. Um, comes back and the guy's looks like suicide, but also looks like a setup suicide. Um, right. Yeah. Where he's shot through the eye. Um, that that guy's been in like a billion things. 
Um, but yeah, even even like a lot of the minor characters, like I think even the the guy who plays like the the pastor in Harlem does a great job with a with a small part. Pretty pretty awesome. I, I mean, I, I I keep wanting to give out the. the I, I think nobody makes a choice as big as uh, Mickey Rourke's decision to open the movie by smoking and chewing bubble gum at the same time. <laughs> That's that's as hard boiled as they come. <laughs> um, and he's he's wearing like I, I don't know what it is, but there's some sort of like groin ribbon that he has in this first scene. It's like a weird off color tie, but there's like this dangling piece of fabric down by his neck. <laughs> I didn't notice that. I did I did notice the belt where he didn't seem to have belt loops on his pants. <laughs> it's a potato sack. Although I will say those pants look completely completely comfortable and i would love a pair oh yeah it was like, it's very much like the like dress pajama pants yeah <laughs> um i don't know if there's like a ton of other stuff i, I, I do want to kind of talk I, one thing i think is really effective about this is just how it opens it opens with a, a dead body maybe the devil walking past like being found by like cats and dogs in a back alley never addressed again but again it's no. one of those things in this movie that's just I... I did want to say something about about this dead body. Um, she's she's laying there, and they do kind of kind of a, kind of a focus on her face. Um, she's wearing a necklace. Is, is it the same necklace that uh, Cruise Mark is wearing? It might be another pentagram. Yeah, I, but I don't think she's not a character in the movie. She's not right. somebody that like we reconcile anything with. Yeah, I did. Just... I didn't go back and look. I, I meant to, but I didn't go back and check it out. But um, that I wrote that down in my notes. I was like, is that the same necklace? <laughs> Death so maybe there's a connection there. <laughs> um, they they did. They, there was some deleted footage that was found that was a little. There was a little bit more of a gory death for the lawyer that hires them. I mean, you see a little bit in like a, a dream sequence of uh, Robert De Niro like picking him up and strangling him. I guess he's supposed to get de- decapitated. Um, and then the the nurse who helps him at the hospital. I guess they, were, they shot a scene where she, like, burned in a fire. So there, there were more deaths and gore elements in this movie that at, at one point. Huh. I, the, that stuff, like, wasn't even... It wasn't even hinted at as part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think there, there, we do have to, maybe before we start wrapping up, we have to address one thing that is another unfortunate miss in this movie. Um, I think they did kind of the best they could with the effects but they want to show kind of the pervasive nature of evil and that it's everywhere and that hairy angel at the end of this is truly doomed where they have his own grandchild get the same yellow eyes that the devil did and point at him like it's a early 90s undertaker promo video <laughs> yeah yeah this was uh <laughs> this didn't work so well <laughs> It's a neat idea. It's just they. I, I think they should have taken a look at it and been like, "Oh, we can lose that. <laughs> this doesn't need to be addressed. <laughs> this doesn't need to be." Here. I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure that that added anything. <laughs> In a movie that I love, we're having a bunch of scenes that don't add anything. <laughs> I, I love the messiness of it. So um, I don't know. Was there more stuff you wanted to talk about? Or are you ready to get up on the sales floor here? I. I still have some uh, uh, some confusion about exactly. Okay, so you want to just the, the what goes in the exposition, kind of what gets covered, 
and what maybe gets glossed over and they hope you fill in the holes with. Is that worth? Yeah, I, I don't know if necessary. Well, I mean, we already brought it up, so we might as well go into it. I, did, I didn't know if it needed yeah. to be on the podcast or not. Well, well no, well, it, it, I think it's worth going into because I think some people do get confused by this. And I, I, I think I even was maybe slightly confused like the first or one or two times I saw this. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that throws people off the most is I think what you were kind of talking about before we started recording where um, is it a body swap? I, I do not think this is a body swap. I think this is the, the timeline of events is that um, Harry uh, Johnny Favorite makes makes the deal with the devil. He gets his, his singing career. Right. Starts seeing um, Margaret Cruzmark and like even her you know her father as, as part of that circle as well because he's also a devil worshiper. Yes. Um, they get wrapped up in this. He wants to get out of it before he goes to war. He's he's been drafted. Um, so he finds a ceremony that allows him to steal someone else's soul to like use in place of his own. Um, so they find a soldier, Harry Angel. Um, they pull him off the street, like either coming home from the war or on leave from the war. Um, take him to an apartment. They cut his heart out. Uh, Johnny eats his still beating heart as, it, as they have pulled it out of him. Um, ends up still getting drafted. He goes to war and he gets um, like a, Concussive blast. He's in. He's in like the USO. Right. There's, there's shelling. Shell shock. Shell, yeah, he gets shell shocked. Um, gets amnesia. Goes back to this clinic where he's being taken care of. As he starts to come out of it, is starting to not have the memories of of Johnny, but have the memories of of Harry Angel. Okay. Um, so I think my understanding of what of the timeline was, um, he he made the deal. Uh, went to war, got injured, came back. The cruise mark and her father brought him out of the hospital. Then they did the swap with Harry Angel. No, they, they the part that's confusing there is that they they when they get him out of the hospital and they they pay the people at the hospital say that he's still there. When they take him out, they um, want to cut him loose. They they kind of want to get away from him for his own sake. Right. Um, they take him back to where they found the soldier in the ceremony because it would be the place that they hoped would sort of kickstart his memories a little bit, at least the Harry Angel memories, so they okay. could walk away from it. But they also did not see his face. So when it's not inconsistent when they... He hadn't fully healed yet from his reconstructive surgery. So okay. when he shows up and he's asking them like questions, they don't know who he is. That's not. That's not... Margaret and, and Ethan Cruzmark playing dumb. Okay. That makes a certain degree of sense. Yeah, it's 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 kind of rushed through in the movie in that in that exposition scene, and and part of it is like random flashbacks that you kind of see like in in different portions. That um, yeah, I think I think I just like I said I just missed the the timeline a little bit. Like I I yeah. fully thought that they both ended up going to war, and that this swap didn't happen until after Johnny yeah. Favorite came back. Got it. I, I thought you were about to say you thought it was more of like a Freaky Friday situation. <laughs> <laughs> you think it's so easy to be a devil worshiper? <laughs> oh, that'd be a different movie. <laughs> uh, well, there was the movie that came out last year, Freaky, with uh, with a Vincent Vaughn. Yeah, that might be up your alley. Then that's the the Freaky Friday slasher movie with the teenage girl switching bodies with like a Jason Voorhees style killer. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sounds interesting. <laughs> um, all right, so are, are you ready for, for Salesforce time? Yeah, I think, I, I think I'm about ready to go there. Okay. I think this is a big, messy, weird movie, and my pitch to you is that, boy, do I miss big, messy, weird movies. And I think this succeeds a lot of different things. Even the things that it falls short at, I, I, I'm way more forgiving of it for falling short because it's just swinging for the fences so hard. Right. Um, so I, I want to see where you land. This is uh, maybe, you know, a, a, a movie that, that is, it can be polarizing at times. Which, so. which way do you think I'm leaning right now? I have an, I have an inkling. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I will say that I agree with you that this movie is messy. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. Like, there's a lot of reasons that maybe you could point to that would say why I shouldn't like it. Um, but I actually, I liked it quite a bit. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I'm glad to hear that. The, <laughs> there's a lot going for it. Right. I I think I just really enjoyed the performances and, and the characters that were here. Um, even yeah. if the story got a little muddy at times, I I liked watching everything that was happening. Yeah, it, it's a it's a visually arresting movie too. It's it's um I think uh we, we kind of talked about how cool the locations are. Mm-hmm. The the um the set decoration to get it to be fifties New York and fifties uh New Orleans is is great too. It's there's a lot of, of little touches and flourishes. Oh yeah it it everywhere. nails the look. Yeah. And it's 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 a pretty awesome um, cool. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you liked that one. I'm, I, it, it's one that when it kind of came up, I was like, I, I was leaning that way. I'm like, I, I think you will like this, but it's also a movie where, when people tell me they didn't like it, I'm like, yeah, fair. <laughs> like, I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I would watch it again. I don't know that I could even point to like, because like I said, the story's a little muddy. Um, the, the twist is like easy, easy to see from a mile away. Um, yeah. So I wasn't watching it for that. I just, I, I, the I people that are think, in it are super charismatic and they were just a yeah. treat to watch. I, I almost think if you know the twist, it's sort of like, and, and you know, I, I, I apologize if, if you're a person of faith and you're listening to this and you hear me like maybe badmouth religion sometimes more than I should. I, I don't necessarily mean to do that all the time. I, I do think that this plays a lot like a um, morality play if you know who the characters are supposed to be yeah if you if you know that Lewis cipher is Lucifer and you're watching along with it it, it changes <laughs> like, from being how, how do you not know <laughs> I, well, yeah but I, but I think it changes what the movie is I think it cha- it's not a it's not a who done it it's a it's a, a kind of more profound statement about the like the duality of man because okay. at, at the end so of the yeah, day it, it turns from a mystery into this you're watching this person get what he deserves yeah or even because it's a uh, you're watching the past catch up to him but i think the tragic thing about it is that even though harry is a problematic character he's a very likable character yeah um and and again the harry himself we don't really ever know him as a as a character outside of also being Johnny's favorite. I so think, this is an, an I innocent think we soul do. I think I think that we don't see Johnny really at all in this movie. I think we're seeing Harry for pretty much yeah. the entirety of it, and that's part of the, 
I guess that's part of the the horror of it is that he doesn't get what he deserves. He gets what someone else deserves. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's not addressed in any way. It's it's just this. Well, that's just what's going to happen. That's that's the, the devil's going to devil. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, he doesn't mind having two souls. <laughs> <laughs> he likes it. Bogo. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I do want to talk a little bit about our, our crispy here. I got a crispy to hand out, um, All right. just because I haven't talked about what it is recently. Um, this is our Crispin Glovin uh, award, Crispin Glover Crispin award. Crispin Glovin. <laughs> Mick Lovin award for our Crispin Glover award for acting excellence in a horror movie of uh, of, of, of extraness. Who brings the thing you're going to remember most about the movie to the role? And we got we got some heavyweights slugging it out here. I, there's um, there's three choices in my mind. Yeah, it's it's our it's our lead and our two special appearance guest co-stars pretty much battling this out. It, yeah. A lot of the side characters are good and fun, but I, just, I don't think there's enough there. I, I say that as somebody who has given this award to Mafia Shark Hitman and and Burgess Meredith for a five minute performance in Burnoffing. But you know what? I will say there's there's one other person I could see you giving it to, but I I go on. Okay, I, I'll is it Tut Sweet? <laughs> no, Toot Sweet's a good one. <laughs> okay. Um, but I, I, I think this is one where I'm going to have to kind of go with the most obvious one. And I think Mickey Rourke pulled the rare um, two acting juggernauts going at it and winning by going big. Usually you win that by go by playing under the other guy. Right. Um, he's so – I don't think we didn't really even talk that much about it, but just how vulnerable he is in this movie in a lot of parts – He's a yeah. he's a tough guy and he's thirsty as fuck, but he also admits when he's scared and when he and at the end when everything starts falling apart, he lets go. It is yeah. it is uh, it, it's a crazy performance to watch. It's it's I it I think if you only know Mickey Rourke from the past fifteen twenty years of movies he does, this can be a jarring thing to like see like oh like people thought he was like the next big thing and and this is why like, right you can you can definitely see it. it it oozes out of every inch of his performance here yeah but out of curiosity if it wasn't lisa bonaire or robert de niro who was the other consideration that you had oh boardwalk man <laughs> <laughs> yes that is a that is a, a fun performance that's uh I, I will give you that one i think i think mickey rourke uh edges out robert de niro like solely by dent of him having being in so much more of the movie yeah robert is really fun in this but i it's um <laughs> i think it's a really interesting way to go about playing the devil and he, he looks like he's having a lot of fun in the role <laughs> um, I, which i enjoy it's the, the third time you see they they talk to each other in the uh catholic church the 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 delivery on the line when he's when mickey rourke is telling him that there have been murders he's like Murders, huh? <laughs> I really, really like that. It tickled me. <laughs> he has a lot of deliveries. I think the one I posted on our Facebook group, the 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 gif of the uh, what gives human life its value? Anyway, <laughs> it's just such a strange delivery of the line, but so great. Yeah. <laughs> right, I, so I think I think he could have taken it from uh, from Mickey if yeah. like. The end scene with him you know, revealing himself to be the devil, if he had gone just super huge. <laughs> <laughs> full, full, like, end of t- the Tenacious B movie. <laughs> yes, just like, just like, blown the roof off of this place with his over the top. I think he could have taken it then. 
but he's All still right. fairly restrained, even when he's, you know, going full yellow-eyed devil there. <laughs> <laughs> what what would it take? A pointed tail and cloven hooves? <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about next time. Um, so we're we're in the you know as I said up up top with describing the heat, we're in we're in summer. Yeah, I think I think for uh, for summer we got to do a, a horror movie that's a that's a large scale blockbuster. We should, we should do something big and and fun and something that audiences all agree on is just a, a, a goddamn home run. I think I had a perfect uh, Rotten Tomato scores for at least a little while. I'm uh, uh, I'm into it, but I also feel like you're about to pull the rug out from underneath me. No, I am. I'm actually being completely sincere. We are gonna do. The uh, South Korean international smash hit, one that's been a consideration, a couple multiple choice answers. We're doing Train to Busan. Ooh, all right. So this this movie is phenomenal. If you've if you've not seen this before, it's a uh, it, it's it's not it's not small. It goes big, and it's uh, but it is it, it is a well oiled machine that just fires all cylinders. I am I I I was a little on the fence about whether you'd like this one and some of the some of the ones we've done more recently that um you know you've kind of fallen there this is one that's sort of like one cut of the dead where i'm just like I, how can you not like this, this, is, <laughs> I, this if you is, don't I, like this i'm reevaluating our entire friendship <laughs> but yeah let's, let's we're gonna do that one for next time uh really looking forward to that i, I think uh I, I don't know if it's one you want to pull the family in on because it's definitely got some some intense moments but um it's a crowd pleaser it's a, it, pretty much most people that see it love it so i mean yeah i'm i'm into it all right sweet um so we, we got our business stuff to wrap up here let's do some uh, business yeah so reach out to us at uh selling the stream at gmail uh facebook group uh, send out an invite and we will we will welcome you on in with, with open arms um, I am on Twitter at Scream Selling. Uh, reach out to me there. That's probably actually the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, and uh, if you can, if you got it in your heart, please leave us a, a positive review on the podcatcher of your choice. Uh, preferably iTunes. It does drive the most traffic. Um, if you are thinking about leaving a bad one, I'm from Brooklyn. Enough said. <laughs> <laughs> That seems to get people out of most things, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Until then, uh, we will see you next time. Bye. Oh, thank you.